0: Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Salatu wa Salamu ala Sayyid al-Anbiya, al-Mursaleen, wa ala alihi wa ajma'in. Wa ba'd. After that awesome introduction, Alhamdulillah, I feel humbled being here before you all. Before I actually commence giving any kind of a formal lecture, any kind of a formal speech, I can see, Alhamdulillah, we're all youngsters here. We're all youth here. Right? And we know as youth... We like to hear things differently, especially when I was younger, about your age, maybe a little bit younger than you all. My normal place at that particular time was Darul Huda, which is just across the street here. Medina Masala was not here, and I'm talking about in the 1990s. At that particular time, there used to be a very great sheikh and a very great teacher, a very great mufti as well, who used to visit the United States by the name of Mufti Ibrahim Rahim rahimahullah ta'ala he's my ustad he's my sheikh he's also the sheikh and the ustad of imam mohabb and he is the ustad and the teacher of many many shuyukh the young shuyukh around the world now before continuing i just want to give you an understanding that put yourself in my shoes we're growing up here in the 80s and the 90s we have come ourselves refugees from afghanistan at that particular time Going through school, I went to Woodnut Woodbridge High School, West Springfield High School. I graduated in 1995. And at that particular time, there's barely any masajid, there's barely any shuyuh or ulema to talk about. The hufahs that we're talking about, we're importing them from outside, from UK, from South Africa, from Canada and other places. So this was a very, very different time when we're talking about the Muslim Islamic ummah. There was a thirst for knowledge, even if you went to the masajid, you would barely hardly find shuyukh. You would find uncles, and the uncles, whoever, whatever they had studied from the internet of those days. So when the ulama would come to visit from overseas, we would cling to them. We would be like thirsty, it would be like an oasis that's traveling in the desert. And we clung to their feet, because every single talk that we would give, and it's only for the month of Ramadan they would be here we will be eagerly awaiting that, what are they going to say? Because we had no ilm. We had no knowledge. Alhamdulillah, thumma, alhamdulillah They sacrificed. They came here to plant the seed of ilm in uloom. In their own countries, they have thousands of musallis. They have the comforts of the biggest masajid that you can think about. And they're leaving those comforts to come all the way here, to Virginia, to America, Where there's barely masajid, where there's barely any of the Muslims who understand their deen properly. And they would make that sacrifice year after year after year after year. Now when you fast forward those sacrifices, Alhamdulillah, through their efforts, through their sacrifices, a lot of the shuyukh that you might know now, who are about my age, or a little bit younger, or a little bit older, they are the ones who also then made the sacrifice to go and to study in places like South Africa, in places like the UK. Spending years upon years upon years, eight to ten years of in-depth study, sacrifice, turmoil, struggle, just to kind of come back here. Now, alhamdulillah, when you fast forward, this is what we're beginning to see. Like Hafiz Umar had mentioned about Sheikh hudayfa there's so many other scholars around here, some of the graduates, they're opening up their own masajid, they're starting on their own classes. Now put just all those in this information and put all this before yourself, because you are the youth now. You know this. There's a ajib, ajib struggle that is taking place, and I'm trying to make you understand that every single one of us, according to the narration, in the hadith, that yahdu kullu in every single person when he wakes up in the morning ba'ayun nafsah. He is selling himself. Every single one of us, whether you understand it or don't understand it, whether you like it or you don't like it, we have sold ourselves. Some of us, we are selling ourselves for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, for the sake of the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The rest of us, yani, where are we selling ourselves? Your mind your ideas your opinions the whole entire world on the sister side inshallah if you're having a little bit of hard time hearing i'll try to hold the mic so as i was saying our minds our hearts are for sale in our terminology in our lingo we call it a sellout And we see this as a bad term, that I am not no sellout, I ain't no sellout. We say these kind of words, right? I keep it real. But I'm here to tell you that whether we like it or not, the hadith mentions that we are all sellouts. All of the influencers that you see on Instagram, on all of these uh, social media websites, what are they after? They're all trying to influence. They're all trying to sell us something. They're after our minds. They're after our hearts. So first and foremost, understand this very, very well. Every, every single one of you, any single one of you, is very precious. Your opinion, your mindset, your heart—it's either Shaitan that's going to come after it, through all the millions of influencers that he has, or Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and His beloved Nabi alayhi Salatu Wasalam. So this is the battlefield that we're talking about. Every single decision that you make, every single morning, whether you're gonna take this path or the other path, whether you're gonna go right or you're gonna go left. So it's very, very crucially important that we make our decisions wisely. And when we're young, we have a lot of energy. We have passion, we have emotion. Our hearts are brimming. We all wanna be somebody. Make the right choice. It's very unfortunate because a lot of our youth We only establish the aql and the intellect later in life. So speak and understand and listen almost from your future self that if you have to look back on life, that where did I spend my life? Because this, the choice and the decision that you make today, like myself, when I made my decision that I'm going to leave and go and study, I never look back. And alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah, I don't regret it a single moment. Not a single iota and moment of my life have I ever regretted any sacrifice Any qurbani, any time that I spent Learning, assisting Or disseminating the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you have your life in front of you Choose wisely And understand that everybody is after you Shaitan is after you The influencers are after you The media is after you And guess what Allah and His Rasul is also after you So sell yourself wisely. Coming to the discussion and the topic at hand, I'm sure you've heard of this so frequently, so frequently, I'll touch upon the topic. But I'm more eager and interested to listen from you. So I'm going to open the floor later on for questions and answers. Right? I grew up here. This is my neighborhood. I feel very comfortable with the youth, and I don't want this to be a one-sided conversation. I want to hear from your side as well. But since I've been tasked with this particular topic, I'm going to mention about it very briefly, inshallah, just so that we can get the juices flowing. <clears throat> Nabi Kareem, alayhi salatu wasalam, has very beautifully, beautifully mentioned in the hadith that, man ramadana, whoever fasts this blessed month of Ramadan, gufidallahu ma min dambi. By virtue of just fasting, and alhamdulillah, we've all been fasting. I hope we've all been fasting. By virtue of keeping this fast, but with two shawaih, with two conditions, we're going to fast. Our parents are going to wake us up. We're going to wake up for sehri, and we're going to do the deed. But if we're going to carry out this action, we just need to pay attention to two things. Imanan wa ihtisaban. We don't do it just for the sake of clocking in and clocking out. We don't do it just because everybody else is doing it. We do it imanan, with iman, with firm belief. Iman, I can go into iman, I don't want to make the talk very, very long. Iman basically is when you've really committed yourself. There's the hadith of Jibrail alayhi salatu It's a long narration, I'm going to fast forward right till the end. Jibreel Aysam, asks Nabiya Kareem in a very estranged guise, where the Sahaba didn't recognize. He didn't come in the form of an angel, he came in the form of a human being. So he asked the Prophet of Allah, والسلام, mal, إحسا, mal Islam, or Akhbirni anil Islam. Inform me about Islam. What is Islam? Nabiya Kareem Aysam, informed them, An tashhada an la ilaha illallah, that you bear witness that there's no other Allah, there's no other deity but Allah. And that you bear witness that Muhammad وسلم, is the messenger of Allah? Right? So, this is outward testimony, outward testification. This is what it means to be a Muslim. This is what it means to be a submitter. We have submitted. Then he says, Sadaqta, you have spoken the truth. and al iman. Inform me then, tell me what is iman, if that is Islam. That we outwardly submit, we bear testimony that there's no other God but Allah. Okay, okay, I submit, I surrender. Right? We surrender to the system, we surrender to the deen. Just being a Muslim doesn't mean that you are now a mu'min. أخبرني عن iman tell me what is iman? <laughs> then Nabiya Kareem said, answers, and <laughs> uh, You believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You believe in the books of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the angels of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the messengers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. All of this is iman bil ghaib If I have to break it in our terminology, it's when you commit to the system. First, you submit to the system, and then you begin to believe in the system. Right, when you're really committed, imagine for those of us who work at a company, you first get hired at the company. Okay, I'm your employee. I'm yours. I'm yours. Right? And every company has a mission statement that this is what we're about. And a movement in that company, we're the one who believes in that system. It comes inside of his heart and he starts to believe passionately about that cause. Imagine the difference in a worker when he's just an employee, he punches in and he punches out versus that employee who's really committed to the mission. He's like, I believe in this company. I stand behind this company. We have a mission in this company. That's a mu'min. In Islam, when we begin to really, really give ourselves to the deen, when we give ourselves to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have committed to Allah and His Messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam. That is a mu'min. So we fast imanan wa ihtisaban. The hadith of Jibreel, it's so beautiful, I don't want to cut it short. He asks, this is not the final end stage. Then Jibreel asks him, "That mal ihsan akhbirni anil-ihsan. That if that is Iman, subhanAllah, then tell me about Ihsan. Nabiya Kareem then informs him, An tarah. Ihsan. May Allah allow us to reach this level, but I don't think many of us, this is a very, very highest level and stage of Iman that a person can reach. One degree, one status below the level of the Anbiya. You want to know about Ihsan? Ihsan is that you worship Allah. As if you are seeing Allah, Allah is in front of me. That is a level beyond explanation. Not am I only committed, not only do I work here, not only do I believe in this message, but beyond that, yani, this is in every single cell, in every single atom of my body, I believe in this, I represent this. It's as if you metamorphize into that mission. That's ihsan. When somebody looks at you, they don't see you. And as the hadith in, in the narration of Nabi al mentions that who is the best person, the best person when he's seen Allah is remembered. You begin to epitomize Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's deen himself. Imagine that version of you. Imagine if you can work on yourself, make your tazkiyah, right? Work on yourself, build yourself up Islamically to such a position that when people see you, they see Allah. They see the deen of Allah. They see Islam, that this is a human being. This is the textbook definition of a Muslim right here. If you ever reach that maqam, if you ever reach that status, can you imagine what Allah has in store for you? What Allah will not give for you? This, that what I'm talking about, ihsan, to a highest level of perfection was Nabiya Kareem, that is the sunnah he epitomized, when people saw Nabi Karim a.s. they couldn't help but to fall in love with the deen of Islam. His character, his akhlaq, his adab, his ilm, his ulum, his juhud, his sacrifice, his everything, his relationship with his wives, his relationship with his children, his relationship with his elders, the relationship with people. That is what we need to achieve. Do not sell yourself short. You have the capability and the possibility to achieve it. What shaitan is going to come to you, he's going to come to you with so much interaction, he's going to come to you and confuse you and push all other agendas in front of your face. I'm too busy, I have other things to study, I got a job I have to get, I have to get married, I have to do a thousand and one things, and by the whole time, life is gone. Right now, most of you are probably in college. After college, you're busy struggling to find a job. After you get a job, you have to promote yourself higher in the position. After that, you're going to have children and kids, and you're going to be busy trying to become a good parent. Then you're going to try to save enough to get a nice house. And then after that, and then after that, and then after that, and then what? Life is over. You are going to be these older uncles that you see in the massages, with the graying hair, and the whole life completely just pass by through your eyes. That is what Shaitan is going to deceive. The Qur'an mentions what? <laughs> this mutual rivalry to amass more and more and more wealth, this has deceived you, it's deluded you from the major purpose in life, the main mission that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent us. khalaqtul <laughs> insa wal illa The mission statement that I'm talking about, the deen of Islam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a mission statement. O insan, O jinnat, I haven't created you for any other purpose than for worship. And don't misunderstand me what I'm talking about when I talk about ibadah. Ibadah is not only just coming to the masjid. Ibadah is not only spending your money in zakah. Ibadah is not only fasting in the month of Ramadan ibadah is so much more broad than this The sunnah that we're talking about ibadah is going to work talibul kasbil halali faridah al faraid. the hadith of nabiya Kareem mentions seeking halal sustenance seeking a halal job is a faridah it's fard. it's a compulsion in deen al faraid. after all of the other faraid. now when we go to work We go there with this intention and this niyyah that I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to cheat, I'm not going to deceive, I'm not going to steal, I'm not going to speak to the secretary, I'm not going to do any of the other haram things. I'm going to represent this deen of Islam. That eight hours that you're punching in and punching out and you're doing things as you should as a Muslim, that is all ibadah. Now when you come home to your wife and kids, your future wife and kids, you walk in the door and you say assalamu alaykum Alaikum with a smile on your face. You leave all of the stresses of work, of school behind. Those of you who are not married, you come home and you see your parents and you smile lovingly to your father or to your mother. The hadith mentions that this is what? The reward of a hajj and Umrah. This is ibadah, this is worship. I haven't done much. I haven't made any sujood, any ruku, I don't even have wudu. But I am doing these things in accordance to the sunnah, this is ibadah, when it comes time to eat. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, I love to eat. We have many, many halal options now. Now we begin to eat and we just eat with our right hand. We say Bismillah, when we're finished, we say alhamdulillah. Eat the best food that you possibly can. Enjoy yourself to the maximum with the halal. Just say Bismillah in the beginning and alhamdulillah at the end, that whole time that you spent eating these delicacies becomes ibadah, it's worship. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very happy with you Those of you who are married And those of you who are about to be married This is a very open conversation When you're about to be intimate with your wife And us men, most of us are men here You know that this is one of the enjoyments that the men have The most enjoyable pleasure on the face of this dunya Is to be intimate with your wife Even that, if it's done in accordance to the sunnah Will become ibadah this is worship, and this is also mentioned in the Hadith of the Nabiya Kareem That if you were to do it in the wrong way and do Zina, wouldn't you get sin? Yes indeed, the Sahaba asked, Ya yeah, Nabi Allah, this is Ibadah? Yeah, this is Ibadah If you do it the wrong way, you get sin If you do it the right way, you get reward So the whole entire day can pass by, we pass by, do our things even if we're out to have some fun with our friends even out there if we're enjoying ourselves playing some sports if we have the right niyyah and the intention the hadith of Nabiya Kareem saatan mentions that from time to time give rest to your hearts in the time of the Sahaba جمعين, they used to wrestle right? they used to go out and do arrows bows and arrows, art- archery They used to have some of these types of fun activities. You'll be astonished and surprised to see that sometimes among some of the sahaba, there would even be a food fight. Ajeeb. We never hear about these things. But if it's done with the right niyah, with the right intention to have love and mahafa and brotherhood and to give rest to our hearts, then this becomes ibadah. This is the deen of Islam. It's such a beautiful, beautiful deen, but we just need to know it. We just need to learn it. We just need to understand it. So, anything and everything that you're already doing, we turn it into ibadah. Coming back to the narration in the particular hadith that I mentioned, so, Man Ramadana imanan wa ihtisaban. Right? Imagine this now when we fast in this particular way, with full conviction and we are sold to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, today I'm really going to fast. I'm really going to fast. Imam Ghazali, ta'ala, he defines for us, Right? we've not really understood fasting. We haven't truly understood fasting. He mentions that there's three stages of fasting. Three stages of fasting. The first stage is what? <coughs> Refraining from eating, drinking, and being intimate with your wife during the daylight hours. This is the fiqhi, juristic, terminological definition of fasting. But it's a very dry definition. It's an oversimplified definition. If somebody does this, his fast will take place. He doesn't need to make Allah. And Imam Ghazali mentions that this is SOMUL AWAM. This is the fasting of the layman. This is the fasting of the ordinary person. But he says that no, there's another level SOMUL Khawas. The fasting of the special servants of Allah. There, they don't just refrain from these three things that I mentioned. But they also stay away and refrain from every single sin imaginable. The hadith of Nabiya Kareem mentions what? That, Whoever doesn't stay away from falsity and making amal upon falsehood, right? فَلَيْسَ لِلَّهِ أَنْ يَدْعَىٰ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no need for you to leave out your food and your drink. If you're going to engage in lying, if you're going to engage in backbiting, if you're going to engage in listening to music, if you're going to engage in watching pornography, if you're going to engage in all these other haram things, but you're starving your stomach? You are making iftar and breaking your fast on all these other things. Your eyes aren't fasting. Your ears aren't fasting, and Allah knows amongst the youth, your mind isn't fasting when we begin to fantasize. When we begin to fantasize about my future wife or my future husband for the sisters upstairs. This is not the fasting of the mind. This is not the fasting of the heart. We're just staying away from food and drink. The hadith of Nabiq in the Allah has no need for you to starve yourself. Because you're not truly fasting. So the true, true fast, the second daraja is that we stay away from the food and the drink and the otherwise halal things. Coupled with that, we stay away from the haram things, the things that we cannot see, the invisible things. That's our second stage of fasting. And finally, the third and final stage. I'm still struggling to make it to this stage myself. He mentions in there's a song khaw- uh, khasul khawas, the, 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 the cream of the crop amongst the awliya of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How do they fast? Not only do they stay away from the food and the drink and the intimacy, not only do they stay away from the sins and the haram things, but they stay away from even being neglectful and forgetting Allah for one single lamha. Not even to the blinking of an eye do they forget Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I don't turn my focus and my tawajjuh and my full complete recognition from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala even for the blinking of an eye. Right, if they forget Allah for a single iota of a moment, it's as if to say my fast is broken. They never forget Allah; they're always remembering Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala. and this is something that we have to strive to try to achieve. But I know it's going to take time. So coming back to the hadith, Mansama Imanan wa Ihtisaban. Whoever fasts with this type of Iman and Ihtisab, you expect and you anticipate reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala there's two different ways of doing things like I mentioned in the beginning you're clocking in and clocking out right? you don't feel great about that particular fast you're like, good riddance, it's done good riddance, it's done I checked in, I checked out Ihtisab is like, I expect reward from this you know when you're about to turn in a paper? there's two types of papers there's two types of homework assignments one is the one that you just do bare enough that I just hope I get a C. Some of the D is a passing mark also. I just hope I just pass enough. That's what we're talking about, the first caliber. And there's certain papers that you work on, that you put your whole, like you being into it, you got into it, you enjoyed it. You lovingly pass that paper over, right? In fit in Islamic studies, I can talk about this because I can become passionate. I don't know about your people's respective fields I don't know if you have passion for what you're studying I hope you do If you don't, you're going to be stuck in it with the rest of your life but You have to be passionate about something. Imagine if you're really, really passionate about something that you prepared And you turn that in, and you're expecting, and you're waiting for your grade right? That's what we're talking about in <laughs> So if you fast in that manner, that yeah Allah You know today, I really pulled out all the stops I didn't think about anything haram, I didn't say anything haram, I didn't listen to anything haram, I really fasted with my whole heart, oh Allah, I can't wait to see what grade I'm going to get, what reward am I going to get for this fast of mine, that's what we're talking about. Right? So it's the spirit of how you fast. غفر الله ما تقدم من And the other hadith of Nabiya Kareem Man من قام imanan wa ihtisaban whoever stands up for the worship of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la in the very same qiyas, and the very same analogy that I mentioned before and this is what we have just done in salat al-Taraweeh whoever stands up to worship Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la with his Iman and this anticipation of reward دمبي, all of his previous sins will be forgiven so this is something that we should try to strive for and try to achieve in these last 10 nights when we do this Nabiya Kareem alayhi salatu sunnah was to make to spend the night in the masajid in search of that laylatul qadr. That I want to be here, I want to attract the mercy, the rahmah, the maghfira the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by these actions, and that's what we're trying to do. One thing that I've heard from some people is the importance of like desperation in Islam, like, desperation to make every second count. How would you like describe the importance of that
1: in our everyday life? The brother beautifully mentioned
0: a word that sounds very sweet to my ears. So he says that some of the scholars and some of the people have mentioned that basically we should do these a'mal with a a sense and an essence of desperation. And I love that word. Because it summarizes what we're talking about. We're all desperate. We're all in need. If you don't think you're in need, this is the effects of shaitan. He failed to make that sajda when Allah ordered him. He failed in his mission to be successful in life, and he made it his life's mission to fool the rest of us. If I'm going to Jahannam, I'm taking everybody with me. That's the kind of guy we're talking about, Shaitan. He is that evil friend that when he goes down, he takes the rest of us down with us. That is Shaitan, And he's got a promise, and he's got it out for us, and he's jealous of us, and he's after you. Don't give in to him. We are desperate. We are desperate. We need Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala salvation We cannot face shaytan alone. He has such an army. He has billions and billions of shayateen with him and we have our nafs. Even if he wasn't around, we ourselves are prone to give in to our lust and to our desires. Have you ever thought about this? Who was there to deceive shaytan? When he didn't bow down before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there was no shaitan for shaitan. What an evil, wicked person that his nafs made him to directly disobey a command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who are we dealing with? So we are desperate. I'm going to mention one thing about desperation. The other hadith of Nabiya Karim Isa mentions that every single night of Ramadan, and khususan on the very very last night of Ramadan, there is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the very last 10 days that we're in right now, what are the three stages of the last 10 days? I'm sure you've heard it from so many scholars by now. The very first ashra, rahma, mercy. The second ashra, maghfirah, forgiveness. The last ashara. what is the speciality of the last 10 days of Ramadan? Itqun al-nar. Itqun al-nar. In English, we can't do justice. In English, you never do justice. When I was your age and I used to listen to the talks, I used to fall in love, and they used to tell me, the scholars, that you guys, you are so handicapped. I wish, we wish you understand the Arabic language. Itqun al-nar. <inaudible> what is it our brother beautifully mentioned desperation it is a level even beyond that you use the word atiq itq, for what raqaba you free a slave you emancipate a slave even in english when you read the translation in your books emancipation from the fire of hell but what is the mindset that we are supposed to have with this understanding from the arabic when you are emancipated, and those brothers who are in school, what is the Emancipation Proclamation? Abraham Lincoln? Ibrahim? Emancipation Proclamation is when you set your slaves free. So don't work at the word emancipation, but look at the word slave. اِتْقُنْ minan nar You are being set free from the fire of Jahannam. Which means that if a person is not set free from the fire of Jahannam, guess what? Jahannam is your master. Jahannam is the slave master. I own you. You are mine. This is what we're talking about. If Allah doesn't emancipate us out of that desperation, if Allah doesn't set us free, our nafs is going to drive us like a slave master into the fire of Jahannam. Now this is what we're talking about to take it seriously and we need to take it seriously. Right now, most of you are very young, you haven't really experienced the full attack of Shaitan. I'll give you one example of one of the students, we used to have our classes right upstairs over here on the other side when our madrasa was here. So this incident happened right over here. So we're giving one sort of nasiha and some advice about making sabar, adopting patience, if somebody says something to you and somebody pisses you off and takes you off you adopt sabr. so this particular student came he said Mufti Saab I don't get angry I mean you're talking about sabr. so he was kind of like you know maybe I've reached a particular maqam maybe amongst the awliya or I'm a big Shaykh I, I don't get angry a youngster maybe 18 19 20 so I looked at him and I said there is no asbab for you to get angry. You don't have any stress, you don't pay any bills, you're not married, you don't have any kids. You have absolutely nothing to worry about. Why should you be getting angry? And then the same student came to me after he got married, after he had kids, after he got stresses, and after life really came to him, and he's like, Mufti Sahib, you're right, because now I'm having difficulty trying to control my anger. Right? So the tests are yet to come. You have to be ready for those tests. You have to train yourself for those tests. And this is something that is a lifelong struggle. So with that, the desperation, the itq min that we're talking about, that is a desperation that we're talking about. That we have to be so desperate to Allah that, Oh Allah, don't let the fire of Jahannam be my master. I do not want to be abdul nar I do not want to be a slave to the fire, I want to be Abdullah, I want to be the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And these last 10 nights, this is that special time, itqan minal We, You know all of these people that are in there and they're doing their training? They're doing training for a specific purpose. Those of you who do the MMA and the UFC and the boxing, there's a whole regiment that we put in to prepare ourselves for fight nights. This fight that we're talking about is against shaitan, against our nafs. We have done the training for the first Ashra, the second ashra, this last ashrah. We have to be in tip-top performance and we got to be out there on this musalla, fasting, doing any good deeds because this is our time to perform. And if we're not doing that, if we're just waiting, just counting the days that when is Ramadan, when is Eid going to come so I can get back to my normal routine? Yani, what have we achieved from this month of Ramadan? What do you expect Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to keep in store for you if that is going to be your mindset? That means that we've already lost. We're going in to take the fall. I'm coming in the last Sunday to take the fall. I'm going to take the money and run. Nobody has respect for those type of people. Here we need to prove it to ourselves. We need to prove it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. With that, inshallah, I want to open the floor for all the brothers, because the brother did start. Yes, the act of desperation, that's how we need to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So come forth with your questions, comments, anything. Don't be shy. Uh, uh, 20 minutes, yeah? Yes, Yeah, Bismillah. How can one uh, train himself for something? What can someone, what can someone do? Training. Yeah. Prepare himself. The question was for the sisters, that how can a person train himself or herself? This training is what we're talking about, like Yanni. Before you do any kind of training, in any field, you need to have right? If you're gonna go out there, and you do the and you do the and you do the sacrifice, and you put in the time, anybody here lifts weights? What happens if you're going to put up 200 pounds and you're benching the wrong way and you're going to get injured? You need to know your technique. You need to know your form. Otherwise, what are you doing? You're just harming yourself. You're doing the juhud. A lot of us, were are fasting. We're not fasting properly. It's not going to count. A lot of us are praying and our prayer is not counting because our wudu is not valid. So the prerequisite before any of these things is knowledge and uloom, spend that sacrifice, spend that time, this is an investment. Because when you have that ilm, you can do small little actions that will be weighty on the day of Qiyamah, versus doing so much action, so much action, so hundred rakat a person performs and none of those rakat are accepted. And may Allah forgive us in this day and time, we're doing such things expecting to get closer to Allah, but they might be bida'at and innovations. Right? They may be things that are taking us away from Allah and away from his Rasul So the first first requisite for this like in any other field is training If you don't have technique, if you don't have the ilm, if you don't have the knowledge You can't just throw sacrifice and qurbani and jihad at it, it's not going to go anywhere So the first thing is to get knowledge Second thing after you acquire that knowledge is to implement that knowledge Put that knowledge into practice Two things so easy to say, but this is it. If you do these two things, that's it. Game over, you have won. Seek knowledge, and then put that knowledge into practice. End of story. There's one is special ingredient, though. One special, special ingredient, which is ikhlas. Do these two things with sincerity, game over. Game over, why do I mention this? The hadith of Nabiya Kareem, I saw so beautifully, مَنْ طَرِيقًا فِيهِ Whoever travels a path, and in this path he is seeking knowledge. سَهَلَ اللَّهُ لَهُ بِهِ Because of him doing this, because of him seeking this knowledge, Allah will make his path to Jannah easy. Allah will facilitate for him to pass into Jannah. So, this is in brief and short, inshallah. I could go on and on, but I'll give time for some other brothers or even sisters if they want to text. You mentioned the capacity of thought and the prayer of the past. Will Allah take into account that as well? Because we don't have The question was for the sisters and those who couldn't hear in the back that, okay, we're talking about the. So, the fasting of the special people where you should fast not only from your stomach and all of these things, but with your eyesight, your ears, your mind. son specifically, he was asking about what about if a person fantasizes, right? Will Allah take us to side? Will Allah take us to task for these? There's two things to understand. One is fantasizing and one is thoughts. Right? In the Arabic language, thoughts are called Khawatir, our mind is like a highway. The thoughts are gonna come and go and come and go as they please and a lot of times we cannot control those thoughts. They come in and of themselves and those of you, if you're anything like me, whenever I tried to be in my early days really really pious, I used to be completely attacked by shaytan with such thoughts that in my mind I thought I naud al became a kafir. He would bring certain thoughts and doubts into my mind, and I would think about it, and I would have no escape, and I would really, really get worried, and I would cry before Allah that Ya Allah, do not snatch away my iman. I wanted iman, but I couldn't defend these thoughts. These thoughts, if these fantasies are like, think of it this way: we all know that it computers, if it's a virus coming in, if it's malware and it just opened up within our minds, we're not responsible for that. That's the hacker. And the hacker is Shaytan. He came in and he sent in some sort of a virus to open up our minds. Now we have two options. After that has been opened up, either we accept it or we reject it. When that thought came to my mind, if that picture came into my mind, I can even take it in like a, like a host. Welcome, welcome Right, I give it place in my mind And I enjoy it And I take it there further So that's basically Then internalizing that fantasy And taking it over in your own particular direction That was within our control That Allah will take us to task for And if we ourselves Welcome it Or we ourselves create it There's no hacking going on We ourselves invited these thoughts We will be taking the task for those as well Right? Nobody else knows about this, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about this. So, those things will be taken to task for because we have some say in regards to those. The other types where shaitan comes in, you won't be taken to task for those. Rather, you'll be rewarded if you fight it off. If those thoughts come in and you say, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, and try to just veer, like, veer off those thoughts, you'll be rewarded for those. But, nice question. Right? Uh, one second, brother. I'm going to come to you, just one of the sister's first. They might then be that you're unfair. Make up the, missed fast that first? the sisters are asking that if somebody wants to make up the, fi- the six fasts that are in Shawwal, Yani, what should be done first? Should they make up the missed fasts, or should they do the fast of Shawwal first and then make up the missed fasts? Right? So oh, some of us who don't know Shawwal The Shawwal is the month right after Ramadan So Ramadan you fast for 29 or 30 days The hadith of Nabiya Kareem Isa uh, mentions that Man atba'a Sowma Ramadan Sita min Shawwal Whoever consecutively follows up after fasting for the 30 days or 29 days of Ramadan With six extra fasts These are not faru' They're not mandatory They're optional But whoever does so This is going to be Kassoum al-Dahar This is like perpetual fasting. This is as if you fasted the entire year. For those who have some sort of like inclination to understand the reasons why, the ulama beautifully mentioned it that look, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that he will give minimum reward of 10 times, right? 10 times for any single one deed. Now, if we fast 30 days in the month of Ramadan, Six days in the very next month in Shawwal, what's the total? 36. You multiply that times 10, 360. And then the Islamic calendar, you have 360 days. So that's pretty much how we kind of come up with that. So the sister asked that those particular six days, since they're optional, should you do those first or should you make up fasts? For normally, the men, it's not that big of an issue. Alhamdulillah, we pretty much fast every single day, unless if we travel or if we became sick. For the sisters, they have their menstrual cycles every single month, and they're not allowed to fast during those months. So they have to make those up later, right? So which one is better first? In brief, in short, the option is up to you, for the sisters and for the brothers. Preferably, it's better to make up your missed fast just in case a person dies or passes away before you can ever reach the other six days. So it's better to get off that obligations from your head and then follow that up with the other six days after that. The azwaj mataharat, the beloved wives of Nabiya Kareem alayhi this is important for those sisters who are married, you just don't have the free reign and the free right to keep that fast whenever you want. You need the husband's permission. There has to be permission given from the husband. These are some of the hukut of the husband that are involved in case if he wants to be intimate out of Ramadan. So what they would do is that they would abundantly fast for their missed fasts in Shawwal, sorry, in Sha'ban, the month before Ramadan. So if you do have missed fasts, you should make them up before you pass away, but you don't have to make them up. It's not fard upon you to make it up the very next day or two days after Eid. You have some time, try to do it. It's just not fard upon you. It's good if you do it. And then, Brother, I say that. Uh, what advice would you give to people that are trying to seek knowledge? What's the first knowledge you should know? From
1: Quran or Hadith? Tafsir? Beautiful question. If you're seeking
0: knowledge, you where to seek knowledge from. So whether to start from Quran, whether to start from Hadith. Basically, in short and brief... Seeking knowledge, we start with the very elementary ulum first. And unfortunately for us, we never want to do that. We want to go straight to the meat and potatoes. That causes so much danger and so much harm. A lot of us, even when I was younger, this is what I would do. I would make assumptions. I would check out and I would Google everything and I would go sit by certain just because they looked like they knew a lot. And some shiyukh, mashallah, they look so... <sighs> you're looking at the person and you're like, man, this guy, his looks pass off as if he's the greatest alim. Be careful of making assumptions and judgments. Sometimes a person, I used to be, I used to go after the person who I thought had the most beautiful qira'ah, the beautiful Quranic recitation, and I automatically assume that he has the most knowledge. It's not always the case. It's not always the case. When we're talking about ilm and ilm, you really have to make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala couples you with such scholars that really have understood this deen. Don't just make assumptions or judge people only on the external factors, because that's what I did, I'm telling you from my own side. And that led me to make a lot of erroneous mistakes. But if you're sincere, and this is the point I'm trying to make, because I've already done this when I was here back in the late 80s, 90s. I've been through so many different phases in trying to acquire knowledge. When I first got my job, I used to work at the Starbucks in Burke Center Parkway for a very long time. All the paychecks that I would get from there, you know I'd run to? Halalco. Right? Those of you who are from back in the day, you know that Halalco was the only store in this whole Northern Virginia, Maryland area who actually had like, some Islamic books. Right? And every other place, so I would buy books upon books upon books. I had established a library, I would barely read them, but I was like, I have them. I bought certain books that weren't even Islamic books. They were books of the Qadianis, who are like fake Muslims. So not real Muslims. Right? So they get into our bookstores. I don't know. I was like, I'll buy it. I don't even know what you're doing. Again, you even need ilm to acquire ilm. I would buy books from so many different, differing groups that I had no idea what I even had. But the main point I'm trying to make is if a person has that ikhlas and that sincerity, you make your relationship with Allah, right? You keep that as your main focus and Allah will guide you. I went to certain shuyukh they used to certain tell me things. One particular sheikh that I learned Quran from and I respect him. He's passed away. May Allah have mercy and forgive him. Right? But you don't get knowledge from anybody because there's certain... People have specialities in their fields. You won't go to a doctor and ask him about engineering. And you won't go to an engineer and ask him about IT. It just doesn't work. So he was my Quran teacher and he really, to be honest with you, wasn't that good in terms of his tilawa, in terms of Tadreed rules. But I didn't know any better. I was just like, man, I'm a teenager, who else is gonna teach me? I'll go with him from this particular uncle, but Allah reward him at least he did that much. But then I there's always the ikhtilaf on food. What's halal, what's haram, can I eat McDonald's, can I eat here, can I eat there, and all that other stuff. So then I'm like, well I should ask a teacher. I went and I asked him, and then he gave me certain fatwa from Saudi and all these other places. And one of those fatwa was like, yeah, you can eat from Giant and Safeway and all these other places, and even if there's contamination in the ground beef. You know how they make ground beef? They have that little machine. You put beef in there and it comes out and it grinds it up for you. This particular fatwa was like, yeah, even if there's pork contaminated with that beef, it's halal. Based upon a specific principle that was being misused or abused. Right? There's a specific principle, bil-akhtari the majority, right, it takes the, the, the ruling of the entirety. It's an in-depth fiqhi kind of a thing. So these particular shiuch were passing fadawa, like in that time I was like, oh man, that's great. That's super high stuff. That's cool for me. I can just start eating and I can do everything else. And I did that. I'm telling you, I'm being honest with you. My teacher told me, I'm being honest with my Allah because before that I stayed away from all these foods. Right? I was like, well some other brothers with big beards told me it's haram to eat McDonald's so okay, I'm not going to eat that. Some Tablighi brothers, I was like, man, they look really pious. Look at those beards. Nobody else has those beards. Where did they get them? How big is that? So then I would go to another masjid, and they're like, brother, this is uh, ta'am ahl al-kitab. It's halal. Bismillah, kulū." So then I was like, well these guys, the tilawa is beautiful. The tilawa is beautiful. They don't sound like those daisy kharis, right? <laughs> so I would use that as my judgment and then I started eating. I started eating. I was like, great, I haven't had a Big Mac in years. (laughs) And I ate it with so much enjoyment. But then when I analyzed myself, just a couple of weeks after that, it's like I don't really feel like going to the masjid. I don't really feel like studying. I don't really feel like doing these things. Whereas before, I was in a spiritual high. You know sometimes when you get into that high, you're you're just in your groove spiritually. I was in that. So now from that groove going here, I was like, uh-oh, I've, something's wrong. I did whatever I had to, but my own heart couldn't digest it. That's why the hadith of Nabiya Kareem Aysa mentions, "istafti qalbuk." You want to ask a fatwa, you want to know whether something's right or wrong, Istafti qalbuk. ask fatwa from your heart. If you are sincere, Allah will guide you. And if you're insincere, A lot of people will misuse this. Don't fall under the trap of shaitan because if you use this, then oh, my heart tells me it's okay to divert yourself away from Allah then understand that that's shaitan leading you away. But those of you who are sincere and pious and trying to kind of make it right with Allah, when you ask yourself, your own, I told you, Allah will guide you. Allah will guide you. So inshallah, we'll go on to the next question. I think my time is almost up. We have more. Okay. It's not ready yet? Alhamdulillah. Or Astaghfirullah. <laughs> I'm going to take his first and I'm going to come with you because he raised his hand first. More for the one more for the There's one more for the sisters? Okay, so I'll take this brother, then the sister, and then this brother. And so I uh, heard that you are specializing in finance. So I want to know now um, we're in the last 10 days of Ramadan and we're incentivized to do salafah uh, for the last 10 days. My question is say, let's say before Ramadan, let's say in Shabim, I had a lot of money in disposal and I intend to, my intention was to put it into set place. Let's say Yemen. I want to give it to, to uh, the refugees of Yemen. Should I wait from Shaiban from all the way to Ramadan into the last 10 days for me to give my money when they desperately get it, you know, much, much before that, you know what I mean? That's a beautiful question and it's a very, very pertinent question. So the question for the sisters was, if somebody Yani when it comes to our mal and our wealth and our money, we know that in the month of Ramadan there's a lot of avenues of khair and sadaqah and charity. So the brother is asking that we know the hadith mentions that if you give or any naful ibadah that you do in Ramadan, Yani, it's equated to the level of a farut. Yani, there's much, much, much more reward that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give you if you do something in Ramadan. But then we're put in a kind of quagmire that what happens, so my brother was asking That what if there's a desperate need in Yemen or Palestine or some other country the brother is starving what if it's your neighbor, he needs food right now or he got into an accident and his family died and there's an urgent need are you going to wait till Ramadan like brother just kind of hold off a little bit let the month of Ramadan start so this it doesn't what we do then, the relationship you should have with Allah, you say, Ya Allah, Within you're spewing Him in your heart. Ya Allah, I was saving this money from Ramadan. I wanted that reward in that Ajr. But this brother, this sister, this cause is an urgent cause, I need to give it to them right now. Give me that reward from there now. Allah is so gracious, He'll give you the reward in Nansa. Right? The, the amount of help and assistance, if it's urgent, by all means, if it's an emergency case, an urgent situation, just give it then and there. Aside from that case, if there's no urgency, if there's no kind of thing of that, and then obviously giving in Ramadan is better. And sister uh, First, regarding the Shawwal fasting, uh, do the um, intentions have to be separate, like can they do the combined. fast for Ramadan and shawal be combined? And um, because this is on the cycle, during the last 10 nights of Ramadan, what can they do to uh, Okay, so the sister's question was, number one, uh, further commentary on the question of the sixth fast of Shawwal. That, uh, can you combine the six fasts, which are the Nafl fast, with the Fard of Ramadan? Can we keep six days, where those six days are both for the missed Ramadan fasts, and if they can count for the sixth of Shawwal? So in brief, in short, no. The usul and the principle is that if there are certain things which are farḍ and mandatory, and there are other things which are nafil and non-obligatory, you cannot combine the niyyah. Right? You cannot combine the niyyah. You cannot combine the two into one. If there's other nawafil or other sunan, then you can combine them together, no problem. But for fog and Nafl, there's no combining of the two. And again, we're trying to get to that number 36. If I've only done 24 in Ramadan and then I do another 6 in Shawwal to make up for that, I'm still at 30. So that was the one question. And the other one was If the sisters are on their menstrual cycle in the last 10 days, if they want to um, attain the benefits and the barakah of al Qadr, what do they do? So this is a very very simple answer Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He is the most gracious He is the most merciful He is the most accepting This menstrual cycle is nothing that I have done of my accord It's something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put on me And this is the true definition of abdiya We accept whatever position Allah puts us in The highest, one of the highest maqam one of the highest stages of spirituality is a specific maqam the shiukh called I am completely satisfied and happy with whatever Allah decrees for me. Understand this very well because when I was young I didn't get it. If you get some sickness for us brothers when there's constant drips of urine coming out, the plumbing isn't working, or, a person gets into an accident and he's in the hospital for the whole of Ramadan. Or, some other thing happens. When I was younger, I would be like, I want to pray. Why do I have this sickness? Why do I have all these impediments? Why are my parents not in favor of me going to the masjid? Why is this doing that? Why is that doing that? Doesn't Allah want me to pray? Doesn't Allah want me to worship Him? Doesn't Allah want me to learn this deen? Why is it so difficult? Rada bil qada these are steps that Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala puts in front of you to see how you deal and as soon as you submit to Allah's decree that this is beyond my power and my capability when you reach this level I am content with whatever Allah has decreed for me I'm just going to deal with it right that puts you at a very very high level spiritually speaking so for our sisters I know we wanted to pray I know we wanted to finish tilawa of Quran I know we wanted to fast even Allah knows you wanted to do those things. Now when Allah puts some barrier and some impediment, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is just saying, how are you going to deal with it? And if you're happy and satisfied and content, then think about this. For some people, the juhud, the struggle is to read Quran, is to pray. They don't want to, but you're like, I have to. Now for some people, they want to pray. They want to do more, and Allah says, don't. So both of them are ibadah. Doing action is ibadah, and sometimes inaction is ibadah. Sometimes you want to pray, you're going to get reward for it. But what happens in the three haram times? When the sun is rising, when the sun is in midday, and the sun is about to set, these are haram times. Allah doesn't want you to pray, so when you don't pray over there, that is ibadah. So for our sisters establish this element of radha qadha, be satisfied with Allah that, oh Allah, I wanted to do this like the brother asked about donating oh Allah, I wanted to donate in Ramadan sisters, I wanted to finish my khatan of Quran, I wanted to pray in the al qadr but ya Allah, you decree otherwise you just speak to Allah that I am happy with your taqdeer and your decree oh Allah, I accept it wholeheartedly and I submit before it the rest, do whatever else you can do you can do dhikr, right? You can um, do other acts of khayr and whatever that is not muta'alliq uh, or connected with masail of tahara, you can do all of those things. Just stay away from fasting, stay away from the salah and the tilawat uh, of Quran, make all the other dhikr, istighfar and tasbihat and all of those things, then be contented with Allah's decree. inshallah Allah will give you more reward and ajjah than that. I forgot this brother, actually, I don't want to do any Dhulam Allah will take me account on these last 10 nights Let me ask his question and I'll come around to talk. What's the difference between the and the non-zhabiha? That's a loaded question My little man came with the biggest loaded question What's the difference between Zabiha and non-Zabiha? That's a big one I don't know if I have all the time But basically Zabiha is uh, the act of slaughter Right? I don't know why the case is, but it's kind of become an issue nowadays where we try to make a difference between halal, between zabiha, between hand slaughter, between all of these other things In short, in brief, our scholars of the past were such that they would opt to err on the side of caution Like I mentioned before, if you are just cautionate and precautious about all of these things, you've got nothing to worry about So follow those uh, rules that are the most muhtat and precautious. So eat that which is hand-slaughtered, dhabiha, halal, pure, tayyib, but there's no shak whatsoever. And you'll be safe, inshaAllah. If you do that, you'll find it'll be very easy to make ibadah. Uh, I gave you one shaq, one second. There's one brother, I'll come back to you. Allah, giving time, inshaAllah. Yeah, I just had a question about, like talk about like jobs and uh, I guess like the thing about like halal earnings a lot of us you know we graduate and like uh, especially this area has a lot of government jobs like people end up working for like defense contractors or like they make like weapons Weapons. that bomb Muslim countries or even like working for banks like do you have any advice for like you know professionals you know like is it it black and white to just not work for these companies is there like a gray hair So for the sister's benefit upstairs, the brothers were asking that a lot of us now that we're going to get into the workforce, what if you work for a uh, defense contractor, or what if you work for certain government agencies, or what if a person works at a bank? Um, Is there a gray area or is it black and white? Basically, this is where a lot of times there's going to be very specific situations, and always it's best to take that specific situation to the local alim or to the local mufti of the town and speak, like, clearly. Just as a general principle, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions that, وَتَعَوَلُوا عَلَى wa That all Muslims help each other in piety and in God-consciousness. You should aid and assist each other in doing good things and righteousness. Do not help and aid and assist one another in evil acts and in like tyranny and oppression. But there is some gray area here and there. If a person is working at a bank, the bank gives off and takes interest, and we know that interest in riba is haram. So we cannot directly be involved in that transaction. If you are a bank teller, and the teller, I know my sister used to work at a bank, and this was a big issue. I used to kind of give a lot of nasiha, and she would say that there's a quota. Like SunTrust, they used to bank over here, they had a quota, where each teller, they had to get so many, so many customers in to take loans. Every particular month, there's a quota of new customers that they have to get, so they have to sell loans to the customers. Excuse me sir, thank you very much for cashing your check But do you need a loan? Hello ma'am, thank you for coming to the bank Are you interested Are you interested in refinancing your loan? Do you need a loan for a car? So you have to sell the loan And when you do that, that loan is on interest So this goes against that ayah of Qur'an So this is directly assisting in that sin If you have a software kind of a position Where all you do is that you're checking on the network Or you're checking on the software You're not directly involved in the interest. It's still not good per se But it's not like haram Like the other direct means You know what I'm saying? So because we have a need to earn money We can't be so nitpicky in America So there's a concession To take the second type of a job When we come to defense contractors Don't be the guy Who's delivering those weapons Specifically to that particular situation In a Muslim country When you know those particular bombs Are killing your Muslim brothers and sisters if it's just general design, and I don't know where it's going to be utilized, hey, it might even help Muslims sometimes. Like, for example, in the olden time, I'm from Afghanistan, I remember the Russian war, we benefited tremendously from the Stinger missiles of America. Right? So don't over get involved in those kind of things, but yes, if it's directly, like, I have to deliver this in this particular confrontation, and you know that there's some Muslims involved, I'm sorry, I can't do this. I can't support the killing of my own people, I'll quit my job, you know, whatever the case might be. And that's why, you know, you guys know the the, the famous boxer, Muhammad Ali? He was just drafted to go to war, and it wasn't even against Muslims. He's like, I'm not gonna go kill people that I don't know, for what? For what am I gonna kill those people for? I'm not going for the draft, I'll go to jail. But I stand for my opinion. If you wanna put me to jail, I can't go kill an innocent person that I don't believe in a war that is not for me. Because of that, he earned the respect of so many millions and millions of people across the broad spectrum of religions. Christians, Jews, Muslims, atheists, Hindus, they all had respect for Muhammad Ali because he stood up for his morals and his sense of what's right and wrong. We shouldn't be afraid to do that. We should not be afraid to stand up for what we believe is right. Don't worry about the million of other people trying to shove down your throat what they think is right. You stand up like a man and be like, "Well, I believe this is right. Don't back down and bow down before anybody else. We need men. We need strong youth to stand up for the sake of Islam. No matter what happens, that was the Sahaba. Small individual people. right? And they weren't all of them the likes of, Abu, of Umar al Farouk or Hazrat Hamza. Abdullah bin Mas'ud was a much more skinnier, scrawnier framed person. When it came to making tilawah of Quran, he's like, I'm going to go to the Kaaba and recite Quran. And he got beat up. He got jumped by the people and he took the beating like a man. He's like, tomorrow I'm going to go again because I'm giving the dawa of Islam. So I don't care who you are now. That's a strong person right there. That's the spirit of strength that comes from the heart. It's not the size on the outside. Many people are big and tough on the outside, but they got the hearts. In, in Farsi, we call it buzdil. They have the hearts of sheep. Big on the outside and skinny and scrawny on the inside. So we need to have that strength of iman nowadays, Charlie. I think. Let me uh, get him first, and then I'll come right back. Uh, for people who are exempt from fasting, what no responsibility do they have to not eat, drink, or be intimate? Like, if husband and wife are traveling, can they be intimate as much as they want, or if uh, can they eat or drink as much as they want as they went outside from the
1: Yes, yeah, so the question from the
0: sister side and those in the back who couldn't hear that if a, if a person has a ruqsa and a leniency to not fast, for example they're traveling or they're sick, now for them, can they eat as much as they please, and can they be intimate with their family as much as they please, the short answer is yes, there's no problem, khusus and obviously if a person is sick, he needs to eat, he needs to take medication, so you have to do all those things, if a person is traveling, you're not fasting. If you're not fasting, the rules don't apply to you, so you can enjoy yourself as is for the remainder of the month. But yes, inshallah, you should read some Quran and do some other ibadah. It's just that you don't have to keep that fast. You'll make it up later. No problem. And I promise, yeah, brother. Uh, the so- 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 <laughs> first question is could you comment on the legitimacy of uh, companies like or so taking from And just another question is. Uh, since we're working from home now, a lot of us are home a lot of the time, and uh, could you comment on some ways to kind of mitigate avoiding entertainment or like going on Netflix, Netflix. or stuff like that? And what should we replace that with and how do we incline towards the So there was uh, several questions and one of them again was a very loaded question but I'll try to answer it as quickly, briefly, and as honestly as I can. So one of the questions was regards to guidance finance, guidance residential. So, if you want to buy a house, you're not going to go to Bank of America or any conventional bank because they'll take you uh, they'll make you take an interest-bearing loan. So, uh, in the past 15-20 years, we have some Islamic finance companies that have come through that have designed certain types of financial instruments that we can use to try to buy a house. <coughs> <coughs> let's take an example. <clears throat> guidance. <coughs> it went down the wrong way. <laughs> <clears throat> so when it comes to guidance, <clears throat> is there any guidance representative here? Or are you giving me another... If you are, kindly stop inshallah. I won't say anything bad. <clears throat> Guidance has a particular model that they use which is called diminishing musharaka. Diminishing musharaka, musharaka means you enter into a partnership agreement. <clears throat> when you buy a house with Bank of America, this is the house, it's a $500,000 house. You don't have $500,000. You go to the bank and you ask for a loan. So you put your down payment, let's say 50 grand, They'll give you a loan for $450,000 over 30 years. By the time you pay off that whole thing with the interest rate, you might have paid, let's say, $700,000 for that house. So there's a three-party system here. This is the house. This phone is Bank of America. And this bottle of water is you. Seller of the house, the bank, and you. You want this house. You go to that guy, you make an agreement, an arrangement, $500,000. This is a two-party transaction. You don't have enough money to buy it. You come to the bank, you make another transaction. Let me borrow 450,000 bucks. The bank is like, sure, let me see your credit and everything else, we'll charge you 6% interest. You make the deal, you acquire 450,000 on a loan. This transaction right here is haram. The transaction with the bank that money that you take now and then you buy this house right there's nothing wrong here because sometimes people worry switch the situation around you're not buying a house you're selling the house and they be like Mufisad can I sell my house to this guy he's getting a loan from the bank this transaction is fine it's just money for a house right the problem is here what Guidance does is like, all right, we're going to come into the middle here. If you don't have that money. We're going to redesign everything. We're going to go into partnership. So you and Guidance come together and you create like an LLC. You become one unit. So you have your 50 grand. They have 450. So together you pull your money and you give this guy his 500,000 bucks and then you take the house and you put it under the name of your LLC. Now what you're doing is guidance. is like, yo, bro, we're partners, but I'm not going to live in that house. You're living in the house with your family. I need some rent. So they're going to give it out to you on rent. So 450,000, whatever that percentage becomes, you're like, you got to pay me rent. And then they're like, I need you to pay me back the loan that I gave you too. but It's your house. So you have to pay back four hundred fifty thousand to guidance and pay rent over however many years you agree. So it's not going to be interest. It's not a loan that you ever took. So it's great. It's genius. But there is some issue. We do have a problem. The problem is that there's another narration another hadith. Naha, Karim sallam an safqatin fi safqatin. The Prophet of Allah alayhi sallam, he forbade and he forbidded two transactions in one when you tie two transactions into one where they're codependent on each other you start getting into some hanky-panky right? it starts becoming the same end effect but in a different roundabout way it's not riba, it's not interest it's not suud, but it's not the ideal And since there's a durura, since there's a need for us Muslims to buy a house, this is the best option that we have. There's UIF. They have, or they had, I don't know, many years ago, 10, 12 years ago, they sent me their contracts. They have two types. One is a marabaha contract and um, Ijara. Their Ijara contract is almost like guidance, so those two will be equal. Their marabaha contract was very good. I like that the most out of all the contracts. I don't know if they still offer it. But yes, you can use these things, uh, these different finance companies to buy a house. It is not going to be like riba. It's not going to be sued. But there is some you know, deficiencies there. But this is the best that we can do right now. May Allah forgive us for that shortcut. <coughs> Should we keep taking questions? I don't mind. I'm just like, I'm feeling pressure from over here. Imam Sahib's in the back too. I don't know. You guys tell me I'm enjoying it.
1: Yeah, so nobody,
0: it's not my fault. I have nothing to do with this. I'm going to go as long as you guys go. And pardon me if I don't call the first guy that I see, but I think he was first, and then him, and then him. He's been waiting for a while. He's the judge. You have problems, go to the judge. You be the guy to take the questions, How's that? No responsibility on my shoulders. Just gonna- for us to not fall into the little Ah, this, ca- this falls in beautifully to the other question of the brother that I forgot to, I forgot to address the other thing, that when you're working from home, Netflix, how are you gonna, in the month of Ramadan, you are working from home, there's no office, the computer is there, you have an hour break before the next meeting, and it's very tempting to just kind of put on a particular show or movie. And here, the brother was asking also that Ramadan is about to come to an end. Now what happens if we go back to our old habits after Ramadan? So the two questions, Yani, they kind of... Uh, they're emanating from the same source. It all comes back to our iman and our taqwa. This whole entire month, the obligation of fasting, all the whole purpose is, لَعَلَّكُمْ تَتَّقُونَ Perhaps maybe you might learn Taqwa. Taqwa is the fear of Allah. And I'm not talking about that fear when you're afraid of like a spider or a lion, but the true fear of Allah that I'm talking about is the fear of disappointing Allah. We need to establish that kind of a relationship with Allah that you really know that Allah is close to me, closer to me than anybody else, really, truly. When I was younger, in your age, I used to spend hours here in Darul from morning till night, and I was heavily, heavily involved in a lot of, lot of dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? It was a spiritual path that I was undergoing in that particular time, it was kind of like in a, a high, in a frenzy. You want to establish a relationship with Allah more than, closer than anyone or anything else. That is the key. You need to speak to Allah in your mind and in your heart when nobody else is there and even if everybody is there. Allah has got to be your closest friend. Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la has to be your be-all and your end-all of everything. More than your parents, those of you who are married, more than your wife, those of you have kids, more than your kids, more than your brother, more than your friends, more than anybody. You have to establish that kind of a relationship When at the end of it, when you see, how can I disappoint my Allah? How do you establish that relationship? It's very easy. It's just called sugar. We just have to take out time and be grateful to Allah that what He's done for us. The very same eyes that we watch Netflix, right? The very same mind that we laugh at those jokes and those comedians... The very same brain that Allah gives us to fantasize about beautiful women and all of these different things. The taste buds that Allah gave us, where we taste all of these beautiful desserts and ice creams and sodas and all of these other things. The power that Allah has given us to those of us who are addicted to going out to the gym and all these other sports. All of these capabilities where I get my enjoyment, where I get my ladha and my ecstasy from, who is the giver of all of those is Allah. He is the one who gives us these enjoyments. Oh Allah, you gave me this. You gave me the ability to experience and to enjoy this. And that same Allah wants to give us more. Wallahi, when we go to Jannah, you have things, ma la ra'at, wa la udhunun sami'at, wa ala There's so much more enjoyment to have that which the eye hasn't seen. We haven't even conceived of or perceived such enjoyments that the eye could have in Jannah. In this world, how many million shades of color do we see? It's very limited. Right? In Jannah, it's going to be unlocked. You know, you get like certain versions of apps. You get the free app, and then you get the paid app. You know what they unlock on those paid apps? It's like, man, I should have paid for this before. So in dunya, we got the free version. And then, too, we can't handle it. Imagine in Jannah, when Allah gives us the Jannati version, subhanAllah, the enjoyment we'll get from our eyesight. The ears, such frequencies and tunes that we'll hear, that, subhanAllah, it's never been heard in this world. ala qalbi bashar. بَشَرٍ You're talking about the fantasies of this world. Imagine the fantasies of the akhir. That is completely, your soul is Unlocked. And Allah wants to show you, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants to give you that enjoyment. All of those things that were haram. Wine was haram for us. It's halal in Jannah. And guess what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one serving you that wine. You want to get high? Yeah, we're going to really, literally get high in Jannah. You want to enjoy some other things? This is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You want to enjoy, mashallah, as males? I know, we're all men. We love the female appearance wait till the huru'een in Jannah, wait till your dunyawi wives in Jannah it's blowing a person's mind away beyond any supermodel that you could ever imagine in this dunya right so establish that relationship with Allah that oh Allah you are the ones who have given me all this and you're keeping in store for me so much more how can I do injustice to that Allah? So establish that friendship and that relationship by making shukr to Allah for everything that he's given you. You get closer and closer, you don't feel shy to do anything against Allah. Who's next boss? I want to mm-hmm. ah, He threw in the towel. He threw in the towel. Oh yeah, one last one. <laughs> one last one? Mm-hmm.
1: One last one, all right, all right, inshallah. Yeah. This one. Um,
0: so this question goes back to what i have some brothers that you know chick it's a Christian restaurant okay so for the sisters and the brothers on the other side in the back the question is about Chick-fil-A which is very similar to McDonald's which is similar to Burger King and all the other fast food joints that we have around here. So Chick-fil-A, the only one difference is that, hey, they're Christians, they're closed on Sunday. They really take their religion seriously. So it's gotta be halal, right? Chick-fil-A, it's good that they're doing for their own deen, their own religion, whatever it is that they're doing. The problem is what? When it comes to meat. And this is a difference that we have with our Saudi scholars, right? A lot of brothers, Allah reward you, it's good, you're asking about different scholars, but sometimes when these fatwas come from Saudi and some other Arab countries, they don't know the situation here in America. Right? Overseas scholars, they don't know what's going on over here, and their mind, they're like, this is the food of Ahlul Kitab. This is the food of the people of the book. We live with these people, we know them inside and out. Their chicken comes from where? Tyson Farms? Chick-fil-A, as of, dude. where do you guys get your chicken from? There's no Chick-fil-A farm, right? Well, let's do some research. Where do you guys get your chicken from? Well, I get it from Tyson's, I get it from Purdue, I get it from these big companies, right? And these big co- companies that are out there, Allah forgive us, this is the rainbow nation time, right? Before I used to make the statements, at Tyson's or Purdue, you would get, I worked at Starbucks, I work with a Satan worshiper, a former Satan worshiper. I work with two gay guys. I work with a Wiccan witch, Wicca, Wicca. It's a specific type of magic. So I know the type of employees that we have because firsthand I was there. I was giving them all Dawa, by the way. I was giving them all Dawa, right? Strong Dawa. When you go to Tyson's and you go to Purdue, there's no kind of a prerequisite of who can be hired versus who cannot be hired. They will hire a Christian, they will hire a Jew, they will hire a Hindu, they will hire an atheist, they will hire a Satan worshipper, they will hire anybody and everybody who's going to work there. So this is not ta'ama Ahlul al-kitab. This is not the meat of the people of the book. If those Saudi shuyukh or Arab shuyukh understood the reality on the ground that dude, this meat and this chicken is being cut by a Satan worshipper by a by a mulhid atheist, by all of these other people, how could you make it halal? How could you possibly make it halal? These are the enemies of Allah, right? There's no way, shape, or form that they can be halal. So in brief, in short, I know it's a big mujahada, but again, this is the taste buds that Allah has given us. These are the teeth that Allah has blessed us with, this is the stomach that Allah has endowed us with. We should ensure that we don't disobey Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta-A'la with the same faculties that has given us to enjoy this meat within then haram. I'll give you one example and I'll terminate. Abu Bakr Siddiq al Forget about meat, forget about burgers and chicken and all that milk. What can be more pure and tayyib than khalis, pure white milk? So he had a particular slave he used to, in the olden times before Islam, he used to do fortune telling. He's a fortune teller He would tell people Fortune, I'll read your palm So he read the fortune of an individual And he never took his money on that day So after accepting Islam And all of these things Abu Bakr kind of comes. So it was his habit That he would ask his slaves And his servants Anytime they would bring food Where did you get this from? How did you acquire it? And he would do full research into it On this particular occasion, he never did that. So that particular servant brought him some milk. And he drank it, Bismillah, he drank the milk. The servant said, you didn't ask me where I got it from. He's like, you're right, I never asked you where you got it from, I normally do. Where did you get it from? He's like, this was a payment that in the olden times when I did fortune telling, somebody just paid me now for a previous palm reading that I had done for somebody. Abu Bakr Siddiq, he comes he immediately, puts his finger in the mouth to start to vomit and to throw up and to throw mud and to vomit out whatever ounce of milk he could take out. And he said, Oh Allah, this is what I can do. This is the capability and the istata'a that I have to take out this haram from my belly. Oh Allah, you take care of the rest. Right? So haram, haram. The hadith mentions that any flesh that has been grown or that has been nurtured or nourished through haram it's, it's, it's more befitting for the fire of Jahannam and like I told you, all of this food that we eat it turns into blood the liver, yeah, the kidneys, all these things they take out the nutrients and they turn it into blood and that blood comes through your body, it goes to the heart the heart is the king It has already taken over through this haram. It has already turned into haram blood. It is being pumped through the heart, into your eyes, into your ears, into your brain, into every single nook and cranny of your body, and haram blood is being pumped and pumped and pumped. Do you think you're gonna wanna pray? Even if you get up to pray, do you think you're gonna make that connection with Allah? So there's no way with haram food any of this is gonna happen. Stay away from the haram food, inshallah. It's a difficulty in the beginning, but after a while, when you experience a spiritual high, you'll enjoy it. May Allah give us to feed. I'm going to end it there. I think I'm about to get jumped. May you Allah know, accept from us